Welcome to the Solo Venture Podcast, wherever you're listening to or watching this. If you could do us a huge favor and hit that subscribe or follow button, we'll work tirelessly to make the show better and expand production as we want to share the best info and best experiences to inspire your journey to solopreneurship. That is the only favor we'll ever ask of you. Thanks for your time. Now back to the show. So Hiro Osama, um, our guest on the show today, um, you are a marketing strategist and email copywriter with over 10 years experience, helping clients increase sales through email, VSLs and landing pages, um, and of course, coaching. Um, you're also a psychology graduate, a mum to two kids. Um, you love tea, naps, Netflix binges. You've coached over 2,000 South Asian women to help them start a career in freelancing through Instagram and Facebook communities. You've partnered with two marketing agencies to drive 1.5 million um, plus US dollars in revenue through email campaigns and VSLs in the last year alone. Um, amazing. Uh, notably, you've also um, written a solo email campaign that raised over 100 grand US for a nonprofit and a single VSL uh, bought in almost 500,000 for a telemedicine company. I've got a burning question to start with, which is um, the feat of helping over 2,000 South Asian women to help them start freelancing. Um, would love to hear more about that if you could share. Well, it all started back when I was in college in 2010 and I just saw I mean, I was um, lucky enough to get in a college that is well reputable, and I had access to opportunities here in Pakistan. Uh, I live in a major city in Lahore. So um, I just saw this job opportunity where I could write for an agency, and I applied, and I got the gig and everything, and it all just flowed from there. That is basically how I started my uh, my career in writing. But soon I found out that there were women around me who did not have that opportunity or that access. So, and I, uh, as much as I enjoyed the privilege, I was like, okay, we live in a digital world. Why can't there be a um, way to make this possible for other women, women who have kids? I did not have kids back then. Um, I was just a student. But this thought, you know, sort of like, um, came and then it went away as I started uh, doing my graduation in psychology. And once I got married and then I had my daughter, that was a turning moment for me. And that is when I actually started in freelancing, like full uh, with just, uh, you know, um, all my might. And that is when I discovered that women have a lot of questions around how to uh, earn money from the comfort of their home, how they can start freelancing, how they can start copywriting. And these are women who are married now, but they have um, great um, degrees. They have uh, done their master's. Uh, they're good at what they do. They want to take out the time, which is quite difficult living in a South Asian household because here um, a woman is sort of... Um, very much responsible for what goes around the house. So we're responsible for cleaning, for cooking, for everything else. And there might be house help here, but um, a lot of the pressure falls on the woman. So, and there has been some education going on around uh, with the husband sort of chiming in, but that is like happening as of now. Uh, in 2016 to 2018, there were a lot of women coming to me like, how do I do this? I want to do this. And... Um, that's when I started my Instagram, uh, Hirasama Social, and I just started posting about, you know, job opportunities and how you can start with copywriting. And while I did not consider myself as this uh, source where, you know, I, I can teach you copywriting, but I knew a lot of other uh, people who are doing that, like um, the Copy Hackers is a great resource. The Copywriter Club is a great resource. I still recommend that. Um, and then Francis Nyan, uh, his, uh, the Nomad newsletter, back then he was also doing some educating on his Instagram. So I used to just refer people to these um, these experts. And uh, what I saw was that um, just like sending, just like replying to a DM and uh, telling someone that these are the resources, um, it led women to, you know, go learn on their own. And then six months later, they would come to me. OK, we have done this now. What's next? And that's how I started like, OK, I need to like formalize this a bit. I need to create a process because this way it is all all over the place. So that's when I launched my uh, one month to 1K social media uh, marketing course, which 
I gave away for free to a lot of women because it just didn't feel right charging for it. But I did charge for it um, for some people who could afford it. So um, um, during that time, uh, I, it sort of this whole thing developed into a community. And it's not like it's a very uh, formalized mastermind or something, but it's a community. We're all learning. Um, I still get DMs on my Instagram. I still get students asking me stuff. I uh, got to become a guest a speaker on two universities here in Lahore. And then I also started, you know, people started inviting me to their workshops and stuff. And that's where I got to meet women and I got to talk to them. And over 2000 or probably even more, if you kind, uh, if you sort of count the um, a number of women who have, you know, just interacted me uh, with me over the years, um, they have um, launched their careers. Some have launched their agencies. And um, sometimes I'm, you know, just... Uh, going out, attending maybe probably like an event or something and someone would come up and they'd say, oh, we heard you talk in that video and this thing that you said really resonated with me and you said that if I can do it, then you can too. And um, yeah, that, that's basically that's basically why I keep going too, by the way, because I have my low moments too. And I'm like, I need to do this so other people can see, they can look at me and they can say, okay, this woman, she's from Pakistan, she has two kids, a very, you know, normal life, nothing like too crazy, but she's doing this thing so we can too. So yeah, that's that's basically the entire story of how I've coached these um, more than 2000 right now women uh, to start earning online and they're doing amazing things. Oh, that's, that's awesome. That's really, really nice it's amazing too, like um, uh, like how, how far along, doesn't matter where we're at, still get nervous about things like every time we submit something we're like i hope this is good enough every time we talk to a client you know like it, it never goes away and that's important for people to understand is that yeah. uh, i don't know that in any of my previous jobs or this one and you've been doing this for, for a long time like you always doubt yourself how big are these audiences like at the universities for example um yeah well for universities it will be like one class of a certain semester so 50 students in one um, around 60 in one. And then if it's a workshop, I try to keep them very uh, intimate, like 20 to 30 students. And this is an in-person workshop. So I would rather have 20 to 30 um, members um, and just attend. So I can like interact with them and I can answer their questions. And because when I do Q&A, it takes one hour and people are like telling me to stop. But I'm like, I have to answer their questions so, um, yeah, I, I try to keep it intimate. And this is basically one of the reasons that I haven't been able to, like, um, formalize so, so much because I want to do more one-on-one. -on -one. I want to give more one-on-one -on -one, um, access to me because that is how you learn. You learn when people tell you answers to your specific queries. And by the time that person develops this um, thinking and they learn how to think for themselves so they can self-coach themselves. But during that initial time period, um, there is sort of some hand-holding required, uh, especially for um, people here in Pakistan, because we do not have access to the sort of opportunities that uh, people uh, abroad may have. So, and while right now it has changed a lot with copy hackers again tcc and many other masterminds and awareness that has um you know arisen in these communities but before that it was um like uh, i used to tell people what copywriting is and nobody would get me you know even still but uh yeah it, it's changing now it feels like you're part of a fairly significant change there in pakistan um especially with the women there and you talk about the roles the typical roles um, that yeah. we have. What were some of the perhaps fears or objections that you kind of experienced from them when you were kind of presenting this as a p possible alternative and they're kind of interested in doing their own businesses? That is a very good question. Um, well, basically, the, the most work that I've done is probably on mindset. And I would uh, rather tell them that this is the resource to learn copywriting. This is the resource to learn how to land clients. And this is the resource to, you know, create your pitches or something like that. But the work that we do on the mindset is the most foundational. And I resonated, I resonate with it because, uh, a lot because 
um, I too have had to um, work a lot on my mindset uh, because A, you have limiting beliefs. B, you're not confident to be on camera. It is a very, uh, you know, uh, major thing that I face. Uh, see people, uh, you know, you, you're always doubting, doubting yourself. Even if you write well, women, I uh, found that they were doubting that, oh, but, you know, how do I? Plus, there's the language barrier as well. So um, even if somebody knows how to speak English, they probably won't be able to uh, get those all those different accents that a client might have or they might not be able to articulate their ideas in a, in in the way that they can in their uh, mother tongue. So these are some of the things that happened. And my one advice was always, you know, just practice. You know, nobody cares about how you look on camera or how what what your accent is. They only care if you can get the job done. So what I would tell them is to practice. And of course, if you if you do something for the very first time, it sucks. But by the hundredth time, you get way better than you were before so you have to start somewhere so it was just mostly me pushing people to just you know do and now i i get um uh, i talked to someone who learned this and then she also taught her son all of this and he is a very young i think he's in the eighth standard and he's doing his own stuff and uh, they belong to somewhat of a village um uh, and uh, when I was talking to that, uh, to her son, he was asking me all sorts of questions. He was very confident. And I was so proud that, you know, and I told her that, remember when you talked to me, you were like, but how can I do this? And then, you know, it's it's sort of like a generational thing that's happening here, uh, a, a generational st- a shift that is happening here. And people are leaning more and more towards experimenting new things and getting out of their comfort zone. So, yeah, to answer your question, mindset work is the most that we did. And obviously, you've been on a bunch of podcasts and then the, the public speaking uh, at the university and everything else. Was that something that you just started um, as part uh-huh. of the copywriting or did you have any experience with uh, talking in front of a crowd or being on camera? Did you have anything before your oh, copywriting no. career? I I was the most introvert person throughout my uh, college and university life. And I would I would just do anything to not be on the camera. Or be on a stage. I I would hate. I still hate to be that you know center of attention. Um, but <laughs> yeah, and I, I've had some like um, bad episodes as well in terms of you know me just getting uh, cold feet and stuff like that. Uh, but when I first did uh, my first podcast was with the Copywriter Club, and it was such a major podcast for me that um, I just like I prepped for it. And as I was prepping for it, I felt like with every hour that I put into this preparation mode, I get better. I feel better. So it's something that I learned that, okay, after one hour, I feel like somewhat um, okay. And then after three hours of prepping, I feel that I, I, I maybe can do this. And then again, Rob and Kira were very like, you know, oh, you can do this. Oh, just tell us to stop, whatever. And and we didn't even need to stop. We like just the conversation went on. So that's uh, my first experience was that. And then afterwards, I sort of like uh, started getting all of these opportunities to speak. So um, I think it's just uh, something that practice makes you perfect at this point for me. And again, me doing that mindset work that, you know, and me telling at one point, I was just telling myself, nobody is obsessed with you. So stop being obsessed about, you know, where you're doing stuff wrong. So yeah, I just started like, again, a a lot of mindset work and a lot of talking to myself, getting out of my own head uh, and um, changing the narrative that was going in my head that, you know, oh, you're going to mess up because, uh, and even if you do, so what? So just like, you know, telling alternative narratives to myself in my head uh, so I can, you know, do better. Um, and I did. And what's that line? Like, um, nobody's like thinking about what you're doing. Everybody's just thinking about themselves. Yeah. You're like a bunch of people on stage in a room or a bunch of people like, like even now, uh, yeah. you know, like I'm like, I'm like, does my hair look really stupid? You know <laughs> you know what I mean? Because that, that's just, it's human yeah, nature. Yeah, everyone so, is obsessing yeah, awesome. about, oh my God, do I have double chin? Am I like, is my watch okay? Is it broken? <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. I, mean, I have this fear that I, I'll, I'm going to spill the water somehow. It's so weird. Yeah, you know? same. Your brain time. tells you the most weirdest stuff. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Awesome. Really um 
I, I can I can feel even just the way you're talking I can feel um, how much value it must be on the coaching that you provide um, because even then I was like oh, I need to write a few of these things down um, so <laughs> good to watch back through and um, take some more notes um, taking a slight turn to um, one of the things that stood out when kind of we were looking at your website is your personal brand is very um, very clear um, I can see all the value propositions. I can see that the effort um, that's been put into it, um, and it's very consistent across um, different channels. Um, tell us a little bit about, well, how it's been building your own personal brand, but also how you're helping others do that in order to land better clients. Yeah. Um, well, it all started when I sort of realized that I have to work on my edge. So uh, if uh, there are 50 applicants, applying for a gig and they're all from the US or maybe from Canada or from Australia and I'm the only one from Pakistan then what can be my edge where can I like um, impress the prospect and that is when I realized that I have to start building my name because I don't have the opportunity or the leverage to attend um, in-person events or fly in another city and meet the client there and maybe have like um, this lunch or something like that. So I, I sort of learned that, okay, social media is my edge. Um, my website is my edge. I can do a bunch of podcast interviews. That's my edge. I can uh, put extra effort in networking. Uh, so um, my website is basically, it's very dear to me. I am obsessive about my website. I change it every, I, I, I'm like always just changing the copy to reflect what I'm doing. So, um, and it started by this very basic one page website back in 2016 or 17. And now it has turned into this uh, uh, virtual office where I, I want people to just walk in and see uh, and learn about me without having to, an uh, to ask too many questions. So um, building a personal brand has uh, amazing benefits because there is no other way that people can learn about you if you don't tell them, like, how is someone going to know and how are you going to uh, be memorable or unforgettable if people don't even know about you? So this is why I'm big on, uh, you know, uh, building your brand on social media, I always tell people to at least uh, choose one platform and um, start, you know, optimizing your profile and just, you know, start posting some relevant content on it. And this is basically, a, I provided this service um, between 2018 to 20, I think, to copywriters. I actually helped them build their personal brands and I've helped copywriters like Kira Hug and Francis and Summer West to, you know, back when they were just starting up with their newsletters to help them um, build their brands. Uh, Kira already had her, uh, you know, TCC, uh, but um, the other ones were starting up with their newsletters, doing amazing stuff, but, you know, still very... Uh, confused about how to break into this online world and i i'm good with you know uh, putting on appearances apparently so i um if you have read that book the alter ego effect um you will uh, learn in that book that you can you know just um switch your personality based on um, any character that you like or any role model that you like so for example if i'm like clark kent in my life but i can be superman when i uh, appear on a cough and just using that principle i think the book didn't even come out back then but there was this idea rolling around and um later like when i read the book i even like created my own framework around it that you know you have to because everyone was like i don't want to sound too braggy on social media i don't want to brag or i don't want to talk about myself i hate talking about myself and i was like so just let me do it let me talk about you okay and when i'm gonna ghostwrite it and you just have to approve. And after a lot of coaching and mindset work, you know, the, the person will say, okay, let's just post it. And that sort of like um, started this um, chain of brand building and everything uh, going around. And then um, I saw other people doing it and I just sort of like replicated that. And I think um, having my personal brand is uh, exactly what makes my, um, you know, what makes it so hard for prospects to say no to me. 
And uh, the reason that I closed like around 50% of my um, uh, prospects and uh, they end up being my client is because I have that work done. The foundational work is done. I just have to send them the links and then I just come up with a stellar proposal. And, you know, I, I'm on that 100% ballpark where I'm like, I, I checked all of the boxes. So if I was to send someone an email without having a personal brand, they would be like, okay, this person writes really well, but are they legit? And um, again, you know, being from, from Pakistan, I needed that edge. But I think right now, wherever, whichever part of the world you are, I think you do need that edge in order to uh, remain unforgettable. Sometimes the decision between hiring somebody and not is that. It's just, you know, you get... 30 proposals in your inbox. It's just that one little small thing. But you also yeah. reminded me kind of of um, like how privileged I am to be born and raised speaking English. And most of the copywriting in the world is in my language, or I, or I guess technically it's Reese's language because they yeah, started hold it. Hold on a second. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they started. But uh, I forget because a lot of times now, and, and you, know, you and I have worked together on a few things. So a lot of times now, like I'll, I'll look at things during the day for my day job and i'm i'm like I, I i i'm not getting it like it's not clicking for me and i know this stuff you know so what advice would you have for someone who's not like a native english speaker or you know didn't come up in the culture um to kind of break into the, the copywriting or advertising or marketing what, what would you tell somebody who was interested in doing it but maybe a little maybe a little hesitant because they're like oh i don't know if i can compete with like the native speakers or the you know the yeah. people based in the U.S. and so forth. Well, my first advice to anyone, and I do get uh, a lot of these questions, is just start watching a lot of um, shows on Netflix, Amazon, whatever, wherever you can. So just start watching a lot of shows, and please do not, you know, substitute the language to watching your mother tongue. Just watch it in English and just you know try to understand because most of the stuff that we um, miss out here uh, is. You learn how to talk in English and everything else. What you miss out is um, apparently, you know, the accent and the pop culture references. So someone would say something or make a joke and you might not get it because you're not familiar with that term. Here in South Asian culture, we're very, when, when we're making a joke and or when we're, you know, just um, having our time together, you know, friends, we tend to be very sarcastic. We tend to be like sometimes even downright mean. <laughs> so you have to sort of like, you know, you have to understand how different sort of um, jokes and sarcasm or any sort of tone comes out in, a, in another culture. And that's different for people living in UK and US and even Australia. That's what I've seen uh, after meeting with uh, all of these people online. But um, my first uh, and foremost yeah, a tip would be to just watch a lot of TV shows. And then once you start uh, learning a bit of the foundation, then switch to watching podcasts and just, uh, you know, start uh, listening with uh, the subtitles on when you're watching a TV show. Just put the subtitles on and watch it and experiment with different genres. Don't just keep on watching Friends over and over again. You know, it's great, but you know, switch to other stuff as well. This is this advice goes to me as well. I sort of had to stop uh, watching Friends after like watching it for the fiftieth time. So um, yeah, and then later on, I I, I would say uh, what I should ask people is to like if two friends are working on the same goal, get together and do a mock up call together. So for example, if me and my friend are both struggling with English, what we would do is get on a call, or I, I tend to do this on call because in in person you would just end up joking to each other. So on a call, like in that client setting, just sort of have a conversation. And uh, what I used to do it was even provide like mock-up um, uh, interviews for my students. And I would say, okay, I'm the client and this is the gig and you need to like convince me to hire you. So this is something that, you know, people then learn by practice. Really good tips. Friends is the series I hear everyone watches, as in who's learn anyone who's learned learning English or had to learn English. Friends is always the number yeah. one. Yeah. R.I.P. Uh, Matthew Perry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. Rest in peace, Matthew Perry. Rest in peace. Rest just, in peace. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. 
Yeah, I read his book. It was actually um, uh, very uh, remarkable. Uh, it, he just published a year ago about his addiction. Very honest, yeah. not to get off topic, but holy crap. I mean, that like that's no I joke. It's like the amount it. of money. I have it's to it's good. It. Yeah, it's very gripping. Uh, it's like it's just like you can't put it down because it's like it's so sad and so like emotional and um, like the amount of money that he was spending. Like he spent like eight million dollars to try to get clean, and he would be clean, and then he because he had the friends of it. Obviously, I'm talking about friends now, but friends had like millions and millions of dollars in revenue, and he would pay somebody. He's like, I got ten million dollars. Just go get me some oxy or whatever. Like our our yeah. pharmaceutical industry poison people with over here so yeah what what a tragedy but uh, that's a good show as long, yeah. look as long as you're not watching like the real housewives or anything like that so <laughs> anybody who's yeah watching listen like don't watch our I shit don't watch it. our garbage yeah i haven't watched it so <laughs> i i don't know but i do watch a lot of brooklyn 99 and friends and um yes. yeah there's <laughs> another show just that i forgot the name completely but yeah a lot of comedy and i have to get out of it i'm like okay you know there's yeah. some serious shit happening out there just go and focus on that and again yeah you know just i i sort of like to give myself a reality check by telling that you know this this thing is going on in the world and i have to get out of my own mindset and out of my own comfort zone because when you're when you're working for a, a long time you sort of build a very comfortable life and i've done that over the years and as you said that you feel you're very privileged at this point i feel like i'm very privileged and uh, I sort of enjoy that privilege as well. But um, again, I have to remind myself and give myself that reality check that, you know, things weren't always like this and things aren't like this for other people. So, you know, just keep doing the work so you might just pave the pathway for other people more to follow. Talking about kind of living comfortably now, um, ha ha what's the situation like? Is it in terms of like, how much are you working? Like, working versus earning like is it pretty comfortable hours wise i know you know lee and i have both had experiences where um kind of total focus time has kind of dropped since we went freelancing but income has kind of gone up um well for me i had this rule that until and unless both of my kids are off to school uh, my daughter is um in preschool right now and my son is one year old so he's going to start school in about two and a half years. And I told myself that for my for the sake of my sanity and for the sake of my kids, you know, that I'm there for them, I'm only going to work part-time or maybe less than part-time. Uh, so I haven't taken on any full-time roles. I had to reject some amazing full-time roles just last month. And I was like, you know, but um, still, you know, this is something that I chose to do and uh, so I end up like working around 20 hours. This is like uh, the max time that I would do in actual work. This is I'm not talking about my business because I tend to be working on my business around the clock somehow because I'm either working on my newsletter, generating ideas for my social media posts and something. But I don't come that as work because it's just something that I might be doing on my phone or maybe taking a course here or there at night. It's like you know, by this time, it, it it's a sort of a leisure time for me. But, uh, you know, working on client work, that's maximum if I'm having a very, um, you know, uh, crammed up week, it's 20 hours per week. Otherwise, it's just like 10 to 15, 10 to 12 hours. Um, and I I'm, again, as I said, that privileged enough in a way that I have grown my work to this point that I am able to earn what an average copywriter would uh, earn in a full-time, uh, you know, job. So, uh, again, this is something that I had to uh, work on in terms of creating my systems. And then I'm very, um, you know... Uh, I have a vetting process for the sort of clients that I work with. So I'd only send a pitch to a client if it's a hell yes for me. So even when I'm pitching and I do pitch a lot, but I only pitch to clients when it's a hell yes for me. And I know, and even then, you know, when we start the conversation, I'm constantly vetting that, is this the right fit for me? Because I would, once I'm in, I'm going to give you the best work of your life. Like that is my motto. I'm like, if you're working with me, you're you're not going to want to stop working with me unless some major shift happens or something like that. I once had a client who worked with me 
for four years. And considering that my entire career is like five years, uh, if you consider the break that I uh, took in between, uh, then it's five years, you know, after the break. So I have some major long-term clients that usually I end up telling that, okay, I've, I've grown this role or something like that. Um, but uh, because once I'm in, then I'm in. So yeah. And then again, with the work, I uh, I sort of have the systems where I can do like a five hours work in three hours because I document everything. Once I start working with a client, I start creating my own SOPs. So I have this SOP in front of me. So writing becomes following that SOP more than, you know, creating something from scratch. So that is why I'm able to do my work faster and I'm able to work less than part-time or the same amount of income that any full-time copywriter can. That's fantastic. It's really nice to hear because um, we've had a mix of guests on and I believe you're our first parent. Lee, is that right? I think so. I think so. And one of the things that we we want to do on this show is highlight not only the careers career side of things, but also the people talk about freedom and you know freedom yeah. lifestyles, etc. And sometimes that looks like a beach on the uh, a, a laptop on the beach, um, yeah, going off and doing crazy adventures. But sometimes it just means spending more time with family, and especially yeah. raising family. Yeah, um, so it's really nice to hear you've carved out that time so that your kids literally have you know more exposure to you as a as a mum yeah in the house how, how has that felt transitioning to this place now where you're able to do that how does that feel um well I've always worked you know minimally in the first three years I tend to only work like one hour per day so and I would just work when my when my child would take a nap and I've like slowly grown this to a point. So it's not like I worked full time before and then I sort of minimized it. I, I'm doing it the other way around. So I've, I've been working even less than this and I'm sort of like growing step by step. Now that my kids are, you know, my daughter is um, five years old and she's sort of like she has her own thing and she has her own routine. And I do have the leverage to hire some house help for stuff. So um now I'm like, okay, I have this stuff to do. And in fact, the any other time that I have left, I just tend to work on my newsletter or post on social media or just upskill myself. So the transition is, um, I would say the transition to like slightly working more is doing good. But um, I try to always, you know, make sure that um, if I, I look at myself and I see that, okay, considering myself, considering my situation, what would uh, make this project a success? Because life happens, You, your child may get sick. And sometimes I've had that happen that, you know, my baby would get sick in the middle of a lunch uh, or, um, you know, something at school comes up and I have to, you know, uh, just go there and take part in some presentations or anything like that. Or it's just like different seasons of life just keep happening when you're a parent. And uh, it's um, amazing how unpredictable things can be for someone. Like I I used to love my comfort zone. I used to love predictability. And now I've just embraced the fact that, okay, this is how life is and this is how it's going to be. And so, you know, just um, considering that, I make sure that I only work with clients um, so that I don't end up messing stuff with them or I don't end up getting overworked um, because I have worked throughout when I was, when my daughter was born. And then I only took like a 40 or maybe a one year, sorry, a one month break when my son was born. So it's like I'm working throughout, but the, but the time is, uh, you know, very uh, minimal every day and just like slightly growing it every day to um, start um, in that, to come in that part time ballpark got you and there's a there's an element of the flexibility you have to manage all those unexpected things as they come around honestly it's been um my work journey uh has been like i can easily get away without doing the work like honestly i don't have to work because my bills will be paid my i'll have groceries at my home my kids will still get an education because my husband works um, and uh, that is the case with most women in Pakistan. The man is the bread earner of the family and the woman is, uh, you know, just taking care of the house. And uh, when I started working, it was mainly because I wanted 
a role model for my daughter. And it just started like a passion of sorts. I never even intended to become this uh, copywriter or, you know, this expert or something like that. I wouldn't even call myself an expert, but, oh, you know, whatever I am. I, I didn't intend to become this. But um, it just sort of like started happening. So again, this idea when you don't have to work, but you just want to work out of pure psychological reasons or pure motivation or pure like you know just um just wanting to do something good being a role model for other people for your children it's harder in a way because you don't have any sort of deadline and you don't have any sort of like oh i have to pay the bills so sometimes you know i'm doing the hard work and i'm like do i have to do this but then i'm like yes i do i made a promise to myself and i i'm gonna do it so it's like, you know, it's sort of like that sort of a journey where you have to yeah. fight your demons as well. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting how that works both ways because, um, you know, not having like the pressure of actually having to earn can cause, you know, like get a little complacent. Uh, I know when I get comfortable, you know, I'm just, I'm not as aggressive with things as I could be. I've also found that when I'm comfortable in earning what I need to earn and I'm hitting all my marks or whatever. I actually, I prospect better. I come yeah. across better in interviews because I'm not like, I remember in the, in the, in the early days, I was like, I need this job. I need this job. So yeah. like I would just be a ball of nerves or I would say even more stupid things than I do mm -hmm. now. And now when I go into an interview or whatever it is, I can be like, look, I really want this job. I don't need this job or I want this client, but I don't need this client. If somebody's like, why do you want to work here? Why do you want my business? I'll say, well, um, I want to do it. But to be honest with you, I don't need this. Now, that may not be received well, but it's kind of like the same mindset, I think, you know, like that. Yeah. Lines. Yeah. And I, I think it uh, does. Uh, it, it happens with time. You know, I, there used to be a time when um I was like paying for courses and I do that out of my own pocket. And that was a time when I was like enrolled in some very expensive courses. And I was like, well, I have to have this gig because I have to pay my subscription. Otherwise, how would I learn? Because there's only so much that free resources can uh, teach you. And um, when you, you want to upscale, that's when. So I had and. I guess now, considering all of the subscriptions, I probably should reassess my statement. I think I do have to work because I'm enrolled in so many masterminds and so many stuff and so many overheads that probably I should reassess that statement. But yes, you're very right um, with uh, the sort of, um, you know, just being on call with that energy that I don't need this and there's no sense of desperation. It's coming from a place of, you know, just expectation that, you know, I, I can do great work for you. So just, you know, try me out without naming names or anything like that, because I'm a huge uh, fan of courses. So is Reese. Like it's, it's always when you go to buy it that first time and you're like, you look at the price tag, whether you have money or not, you're like, Oh, that seems like a lot of money. I've never regretted joining a group or purchasing a course. What's your, what's your experience been like with courses and groups over the years? Oh, it has been amazing. I think if I like did 30% of the work, 80% of the work that, uh, you know, from 30 to 80, I went just solely based on courses and masterminds. Um, and uh, I should mention that I only um, enroll for the very best and the very famous ones. So I'm not like testing or throwing money out. I'm making a smart purchase, although I don't do that otherwise, but in, in terms of courses, because it's my own money, I just make the smart purchase. So um it has helped me immensely because a networking, uh, being again from Pakistan, I do not have anyone to talk about copywriting. My friends even don't realize, although now they've learned what it is, but they don't really have that um, insight as to you know what I I may do in a situation and the ability to come and say in a group that this is something that is challenging for me, and just help me out. So. Uh, Networking is a big one. Uh, number two, having access to a mentor can change you um, in terms of your mindset. Because when you can just ask someone that, and, and I've come to my mentors with some very um, ridiculous problems, honestly. And they've told me very patiently, very kindly that, you know, you can go through, go through this as a first time mom, as a first time parent. Uh, growing my business from scratch, like I, I didn't have anything back then. Um, any testimonials or case studies and stuff was 
like sort of challenging back then. And just, you know, um, people like my mentors telling me that, you know, you can do this and this is the way to do it. Here, I'll, I'll help you. I'll share some resources. I'll make this connection for you or something like that. That uh, helps a lot. But that being said, just being in a mastermind won't make you successful. You have to do the work. And I realized this long ago that if you enroll in a mastermind and this, uh, first of all, you get this huge rush of dopamine that, oh, I'm I'm a part of this big thing. But then you realize that you just like sort of, uh, you have to work more, even more than you used to. And sometimes I'm like, I would do my client project in like, three hours, but now I have to do the stuff that I promised my mentor. I, I have to like do this uh, work on my business that my mentor asked me to, and it it is going to take like double amount of hours. So most of the times when I'm working late and I'm uh, up early, it's usually when I'm working on my own business. So you have to do the work again, just being in a mastermind in itself isn't going to change um, the trajectory of your work. Excellent point. And I think Lee and I have seen this in some of the groups we've been in as well. There's always going to be a few people in there that they get super excited, they join, and then they don't do the work. Um, and perhaps even kind of perhaps even complain and or sort of like throw the toys out the pram, like, why am I yeah. not getting it? Um, why am I not seeing the success that others are? Um so yeah. I think that um it's mainly because sometimes people aren't um, ready to join a group and they just they hurry to get a part uh, to become a part of uh, something big so I, I always tell that, them that if you can if you are earning enough that you can pay for the mastermind in full go ahead and enroll then even if you're paying in installments like you know if you prefer to do that but just if you have like for example if something costs 2k a month at least have 10k in your bank that way you can assess where you are and if this group is right for you. So um, otherwise you'll just end up like wasting money, honestly, because how can someone perform well, learn and scale when they're in that mindset of scarcity and they're worrying that, okay, if I pay the subscription, I might not be able to pay my bills. So it's just like that. You have to be in that mindset as well. You start to resent, like if, if you're not making money and you owe them money. So if you're, if you're like, Hey, what is this course all about? Like, what am I doing here? Oh, and then, uh, you're going to hit my credit card every month for whatever. Yeah. yeah I didn't yeah. think of it that way. Yeah. yeah. I, I wish, I wish, uh, I wish you were around about 20 years ago when I started making money <laughs> and wasting it and taking out loans and buying cars I didn't need and oh. everything else. So yeah, I could have used that advice. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have listened. I would have listened. I, I have yeah. learned it too. I've made some. Um, bad decisions too it's not that you know now sitting in this place and talking about it it feels like oh I've, I've been like this since always no I actually I think I just got smarter after my second baby honestly and I've started making you know better decisions and yeah I always say that you know as as I'm nearing 30 like 30 years of age I think I'm making better decisions so, and I just, I feel like I should, I should have had this wisdom, like, you know, 10 years ago and I, I would have made better decisions uh, back then too. Um, taking a bit of a, to go a little bit more specific. So I know in the intro, we mentioned email copywriting, VSLs. Um, one, it'd be good to just get a quick insight into what those mean um, and how you use them to make your clients money. Um, okay, so well, email copywriting is basically sending um, your list emails uh, with your offer and just promoting your offer in your emails. And a lot of um, companies use email marketing to leverage the one-on-one relationship that they have uh, developed over the years with their subscribers. And even if there is a non-existent relationship, there is a way to leverage that still by just implementing the right welcome sequences and just starting off on the right foot by uh, making sure that your copy does not sound too like, you know, um, salesy and it's more humanistic. And VSLs are basically video sales letters. And over the years, I've done like YouTube scripts, Facebook video ads, and um, start engine videos, um, launch good videos, and all of these, you know, scripts that, uh, and then also the funnel copy that goes with it. But mostly I'm also writing, you know, just scripts as a standalone service. So um, again, with a script, it's very direct response. 
So back when I started freelancing, I was doing social media and I learned that a lot of people who were coming to me for social media had a broken funnel. So I then turned my services into this full funnel marketing and then later on specialized in emails and VSLs because these are the two things where you can layer your revenue. And you can actually see that a sequence, um, you know, you can measure the revenue by seeing that how many people clicked on uh, CTA or with a VSL, you can say how how many people uh, watched the video and then clicked on the on the offer or bought the offer. So basically, these are the two things that business owners can leverage the most, in my opinion, if they have a good offer. Of course, having a good offer is uh, the foundation of it all. Um, and my frameworks to write an email or, NV or a VSL are pretty simple. And this is something that I learned a while ago that um, A, always sound like a human. Don't sound like a business or a company or an enterprise or a, like worst thing you can do is sound like ChatGPT or a robot. So just sound like a human. Keep it engaging and um, make sure that you are not asking uh, people something that they need to do out of fear. So instead of enticing fear in your audience, you can entice desire or love or this um, idea of being in a place that they can if they purchase the, the product. So like, you know, um, I don't know how, like what you call it, but I call it coming from a place of empathy that you should have for your audience when you're marketing. And um, uh, I basically, a while back ago, I created something and it had a lot of FOMO in it. And the, I used a lot of scarcity tactics because I had just recently taken a course and it sort of followed that formula and I did that. And then um, this uh, person that I was working with, he told me that I love the copy, but maybe just, you know, turn this around and make it come from a place of desire. And when I did that, I saw the copy and I was like, okay, now this sounds like something that would convince me as a buyer to take action. So that's what I learned. And whether it's an email or it's a VSL, with VSLs, you obviously have to keep in mind the video component that whatever you're writing is going to appear in video. And that sort of changes the format. With emails, you can be more, you know, tell a story and just, you know, uh, give a perspective or a point of view. And then, you know, you can wrap it up. But with a VSL, you have to like, you know, it appears in a video format and you have to keep that in mind. And also with emails, you can just implement them right away. But with VSLs, they usually end up going through stages of compliance and then a creative team. And then, you know, the people who are recording the video and then the founders and even the CEOs who are, you know, just, you know, saying the script that you wrote. So the process is sort of different. But uh, if you if anyone combines these two things, I think they're amazing for direct response. So, yeah, Um Again, just, you know, my formula, my basic formula is to just be very human focused in your copy uh, when you're writing either an email or a VSL. It's definitely something I've seen. I've seen loads of the kind of former copy that you talked about that's kind of going really ham um, on like creating guilt and all the negative kind of yeah. emotions. So, yeah, it's nice to hear more of a more of a human-centered approach you, you just mentioned kind of the process with some of those uh teams you've got different layers um, of the company how have you found um clients kind of reactions to when you're like on the other side of the world um compared to them do you i mean how, how many clients are you working with that aren't in southeast asia well um none of my clients are from pakistan uh, each of my clients is either from Canada or USA and maybe one or two from UK. And people are like, they don't, A, they don't believe that I'm from Pakistan because they have this other image that, you know, yeah. I might appear that way. And I am a practicing Muslim, but um, I may not look like uh, I am. So it's just like, you know, uh, people are confused that, okay. And this one person had like a very, and in fact, there are two, three people who in the last year have had a 15 minute discussion on, am I really from Pakistan or maybe I'm wow. from East or maybe I'm from, you know, I don't know what other um, ideas they had that, you know, I'm like, okay, I'm going to go out and I'm going to show you the traffic on my roads. And then you're going to say that I'm from Pakistan. 
But yeah, it's like, it's not like they were coming from a place of, you know, a disrespect or anything. They were like genuinely concerned. They were like, okay, I don't know about a lot about Pakistan, but just tell me more. Um, I want to know more. You know, I didn't have this idea that someone would be, you know, uh, on a call with me and know this much about my business. And they would be from Pakistan because this is, you know, and this is from, um, this is someone with a very sort of technical finance niche. So it's okay for him to assume that me being a woman from Pakistan and a parent, I might not know because, uh, but they don't know that I do my research. And this is why people are like, oh, wow. So yeah. And uh, yeah. And uh, well, reactions are mostly good. People are mostly interested in, you know, oh, what, uh, I mean, like our food and our culture and um, they're asking about, and I have, I've had many people from India who are good friends and they're like, I don't know what's, what the fight is about. I mean, you're great. I'm great. I don't know what the fuss is about. So it's like, yeah, it's, it's a fun conversation that I have with people around the world. So I, I just remember that I've forgotten that Pakistan and India have had some differences, yeah. thousands of years of problems. Yeah. And then, and if you ask like most of us these days, especially those of us who travel and who get out a lot, we're like, what are these stupid, uh, like somebody made somebody mad 2000 years ago and we're still talking about it. You know, that's so silly. I've, uh, I've actually uh, coached so. women from India uh, and they, they come to me because our cultures are so uh, like similar and we sort of understand each other's perspective. So um, it's always a good, um, you know, um, perspective. And I, and we just, end up laughing about stuff and i know that some of the stuff that happened is um serious and it it needs its own conversation and uh you know not everything is as easy and breezy overall in the world but um on a very individualistic point of view i think uh, the, with the globalization of the world i think it's okay yeah. to just you know when you're on a call with someone just put aside your prejudice or your pre-assumed notions and just you know look mm -hmm. at other people from a fresh pair of eyes because the next time you hop on a call a woman from pakistan may not look like me she might be wearing a hijab she might have her child with her because her babysitter didn't show up and he might be making some noise but just it's okay to assume that she knows her stuff because she does so um I, I just tend to like focus on telling people that I'm from Pakistan. So the next time someone hops on a call and they see someone who looks different, um, they would assume that she also knows her stuff because this other person that I talked to, she knew. So that's amazing, right? Like uh, if, if we if we stuck to what we see in social media and on cable news all the time, you think the whole world's on fire all the time. Then you meet people in person and it's just, yeah. a, you know, and it's it, it's that's their job is to make everything sound like it's terrible. We touched a little bit on. Um, like your outreach and having like the really good website uh, as part of a proposal or reaching out to a client uh, and how that that's kind of like a good foundation. Uh, would you have any other advice as far as your outreach and getting conversion on on clients uh, aside from having that you know good brand and everything else in place? Yeah, I think the only advice that I have is to um, make sure that your pitch is um, just re remember that your pitch or the first email that you send is your one chance of convincing the other person that you're a good copywriter. Because if you cannot convince that one person to hire you, are you really a good direct response copywriter? Because your job is to convince people to buy, to convince people to take action. So I think um, do not slack off with that first impression. And I always tend to walk uh, down with the, uh, from the, when I uh, create a pitch, I just, tend to think that, okay, if I'm the recruiter, what are some of the questions that might come in my mind? And I tend to create a fact section. I have a sort of a mini proposal in there, not keeping it too long, but like, you know, just enough information for them to um, want to reply back to me and say, I want to learn more. So yeah, just make sure that you nail that first impression because as a copywriter, your job is to convince and you sort of make that happen and you sort of show that you have, you know, that um, uh, the leverage to make that happen for your client again, uh, if you convince people to at least reply you back. I, uh, that's, that's smart. I didn't think of it that way. Like if you can't even pitch in an email and get a job, then <laughs> what are you doing? I think we lost yeah. there. Uh, yeah. So... So I guess the only other thing that um, that we'd like to ask everyone is, uh, you know, and this is you can get into this as, as little or as much as you'd like to. Um, are there any 
or can you talk about any like major setbacks that you've had over the years and what you've done to overcome those? Like anything like that was that made you even question, like, why am I doing this? Like any, any like the big ones, you know, if you're comfortable getting into it. Um, well, yeah, I did have this one gig that was really good. Um, and it was with a big firm and, um, it happened around a time when I was ready to upscale. I was ready to come into part-time and everything else in between. So, and when I started working, I just, um, A, I did not think that I was being compensated well for the amount of work that I was doing because I'm a copywriter. And if somebody hires me to be this marketing strategist, um, I don't just want to work on admin stuff. I don't just want to work on, you know, very minimal, you know, just, you know, admin stuff or just, you know, other stuff like that. I want to work on the strategy. I want to have a say on how you are running your campaign. So I did not have a good experience with that. And uh, after three months of working together, we decided that this was not working for us. And although at that time I was like, okay, that's okay. But after that, like for like two weeks, I did not have any proposals that were being answered. And um, I, I, I like then freaked out that, oh, what, what is this, you know? And that was like that major setback, which taught me A, to never give up on a job without having a second option. And B, I learned that um, the stuff, that, I learned that basically I have to have a USB, like I have to have my unique selling proposition or my X factor or my differentiation factor, whatever you may want to call it, to um, stand out from other people. Because I'm not telling people that uh, I'm an email copywriter and they might just assume that, you know, she's a strategist and she would take care of all the admin stuff as well. So I sort of, you know, just became very clear that this is what I do. And this is what I would, instead of trying so hard to get a gig, any gig, I would try so hard to get that gig that I really want. And that may mean that I'm not applying to 10 gigs in a day and or I'm not like browsing through 10 uh, projects in a day. I'm just maybe looking for one to two commitments per week, but I'm nailing that um, that pitch and I'm getting a yes on that. So yeah, that I think every major setback always teaches you a lot. So yeah, now they say like it, somebody who's never had any, any failure at all. I mean, obviously we all have things in life that go wrong on a daily basis, but, but it's uh it sucks. But you kind of, I mean, <clears throat> I kind of gotten used to it. Like now, it used to be in the beginning when I, when it, again, we were talking about like being desperate for a job. When I really needed something, um, I came across as weird, even weirder than I already am now, uh, like uh, prospecting. And then when uh, like I, I get like a no, like I would send out something and I would hear back. And, and a lot of these companies are actually very polite. They'll tell you like, hey, we're not moving forward with whatever. And I'm like, well, that's nice. But it was like, um, I don't want to say crushing, but it's kind of like, Ugh, you know, and now it's gotten to the point where it's kind of funny to me. Like I'll get an email from somebody that I, a job or somebody I reached out to two months ago and they're like, Hey, just so you know, we're not uh, considering you for the, I'm like, I don't even remember who you are, you know, and it, 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 it kind of, you do build up like that resilience and, yeah. and it's same with not having the structured day and, and all the other things or the steady income, you know, yeah. I don't know. I, I prefer it. Like I prefer the kind of the roller coaster of whatever makes life a little bit more exciting any final thoughts or anything that uh you'd like people to know or where can everyone find you um well yeah um my closing thought would be that anyone who is listening to this interview if you have any question about freelancing or copywriting or starting with email marketing uh hit me up um on my in my dms i think you will mention the links down below or my email uh and if any um uh, marketing agency owner or maybe a founder who is you know confused about oh should we you know run this email campaign or should we incorporate vsls into our marketing um again hit me up and i would love for anyone who is listening to this video to subscribe to the atypical entrepreneur my newsletter service that i recently rebranded and we're going to talk about marketing psychology and persuasion and basically i'm going to go deep in um how to make uh how to give buyers what they really want so instead of just you know trying to um throw spaghetti on the wall hoping that it sticks 
you're going to walk away with stuff that is actually going to work and also make your prospects or your audience feel good when you know they're being sold to because it doesn't always have to have that ick factor in fact it never has to have that ick factor your marketing message even if it doesn't convert should make the other person feel good so yeah that's that's everything that we're going to learn inside that newsletter well i really appreciate your time uh thanks for jumping on i know we're in very different parts of the world so uh it was awesome for you to make the time for us and uh Really appreciate it. And it's good to finally see you in person. So we're kind of like virtually in person or whatever. And yeah, uh, yeah if you, uh, what we'd like to do uh, is maybe some point, um, you know, down the road, we have another checkpoint. We can have you back on, see where, how everybody's not- doing. So uh, so t- to be continued. Thanks again. We appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. I had fun. I had fun uh, having this conversation. It was great. And I would love to be back anytime.